0: I used my phone this morning to text a couple of my preacher buddies to say to them, what a joy it is to preach the resurrection. Amen? Amen. And I get to do this. I get to preach the resurrection of Christ. What a blessing it is to my life. Now, sometimes pastoring churches, I'd sell this job for five cents. And I'd give you two cents in return. But not on this occasion. All right? Praise God. Today we're going to talk about the fact that he died... And rose again. Now I want to make a very bold statement, and I'm going to give you the key to understanding everything in reality. It's a pretty bold statement, right? History does not pivot on current world events, the discovery of America, or the American Revolution. Human history pivots on two events centered in one person. The two events would be the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and the one person is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. I would submit to you that everything that is happening even this moment finds its true significance in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Today, we're going to investigate a story. And when you're investigating a story, it's very important that you get all the facts, right? You consider the essential aspects of the story... And if possible, you do so uh, from the viewpoint of the people who were most involved in it. And this is what we call Resurrection Sunday Morning. So it would behoove all of us to find out what the evidences are and what the facts are for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And to do so this morning, we want to examine a passage of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-8 is the text that we're going to to examine. This text has the aura of the courtroom. Now, I mentioned investigating and I mentioned the fact that you have evidences and facts. Well, if there was ever a chapter that has the aura of the courtroom, it would be First Corinthians 15. It is the longest and most accurate rendering uh, of the proof of the resurrection. Not only of the resurrection of Christ, But also, your bodily resurrection one day if you are in Christ Jesus. The proof of that, as far as presented by Paul, was presented in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Sounds like an official presentation, sounds like a legal presentation. In short, it sounds like, Brother John, a lawyer's brief is what this sounds like. In this case, the lawyer is Paul. And you say, Well, was Paul a lawyer? Well, he was. He was actually a master lawyer. Because he was a student and a master of the law. Do you remember reading in Philippians chapter 3? He was a student of all students. A Hebrew of Hebrews. If you could be saved by the law, Paul would have been saved by the law. But we know that's an impossibility. And so Paul is the lawyer and you are the jurist. And the case is going to be presented before you. And you have to finally render a verdict to the purported resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So I think before I give you the legal presentation, we we'll need to figure out perhaps what the duties of a jurist are. How does a jury supposed to respond? Well, first you have to be unbiased, right? Now think, think about this for a moment. In this case, it appears to be hard to be unbiased because we're talking about the possibility of resurrection from the dead. So number two, you must examine the evidence that's admitted by the court At the case at hand. And of course it is the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Third, you have to acknowledge the lawyer's standard of proof. And how does the court do this? Well, the decision is made on the basis of probabilities. The court has to decide as to what is the most likely thing that took place. Fourth, the jury must reach a conclusion about the case in light of the evidence presented. uh, The pertinent witnesses who will give testimony. And remember, in this case, Paul is a lawyer His case that he's giving you is the resurrection of Christ from the dead, and you're the jury. But here's the difference here. Paul has a manual of law. And you know what his manual is? It's the Scriptures. He's going to say several times in this text, according to the Scriptures. So his manual of law is the Word of God. He's going to govern all of his law and practice. And he's going to identify that twice in the text. This book was the theme of all the New Testament writers, including Jesus. And what are the Scriptures to Paul? Of course, when he wrote this, he was referring to the Old Testament. Do you know that the Old Testament taught the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? And so, there were no New Testament Scriptures. They were in the process of being written when Paul actually says this. As a matter of fact... 1 Corinthians is one of the oldest New Testament books we have. And so Paul is giving and going on record, perhaps for the very first time, the oral and written communication of the essentials of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's going to ground that according to the scriptures. He's also going to uh, ground his argument in the gospel. It's going to be that central stone... Uh, He's going to tell us that the Old Testament forecasts the gospel and that the New Testament actually is fulfillment of all that the Old Testament said was going to happen. So notice, Paul received the gospel and it's always according to the Scriptures. Any Jesus that is not the Jesus of the Bible is not Jesus at all. You don't have your own Jesus. You have what the Word of God says about Jesus of Nazareth. So the Bible declares... How the gospel reaches the individual hearts. Notice chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Are you there? Gave you plenty of intro to turn and get there, right? 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. Here's Paul's defense of the gospel and the resurrection. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel, right? Grounding it in the gospel. I preach to you. Notice this. You received it. It's declared to the individual, and that's what I'm doing right now. I'm declaring to you the gospel. It is declared, it is then received, the person believes in it, and they're saved, and then they stand in the gospel. And by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preach to you unless you believed in vain. I like the NLT's rendering of verse 2. And it is this good news that saves you if you firmly believe it. Unless, of course, you believe something that was never true in the first place. Now, verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance, most important thing I delivered to you, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. You want some witnesses? And then He appeared. Uh, on the third day, in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, known to you as... There you go. have one responding. Known to you as Peter. He appeared to Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. That's pretty good evidence, isn't it? Hello. Are you all awake? Pretty good evidence in the court of law. Most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. All right, we're in a courtroom. The evidence has been given before you. You cannot remain neutral. Now, you can doubt... You can bring your doubts to the empty tomb, but you can't remain neutral. You must respond yes to Christ and the resurrection or no. There's no in between. There's no neutrality when it comes to an empty tomb. So, here's the first thing of the evidence. The sacrifice of atonement was Christ's work on the cross. In chapter 15, verse 3, it says, He died for our sins. Theologically, this we call... The sacrificial atonement of Christ. Better yet, we would call this vicarious substitutionary death. In other words, something caused the Son of God to come down from heaven, put on human flesh, live 33 and a half years and never sin, right? He that knew no sin became sin for us. What caused that to take place? The necessity of it was the sacrifice of atonement. Vicarious means it must be in the stead of another. Someone is called to take another person's place. And so when that text says Christ died for our sins, then we're dealing with a sacrifice of atonement. Atonement must be made. Without the shedding of blood, Hebrews 9.22, there is no remission of sins. So the divinely appointed, divinely anointed Christ died for our sins. Thus, the sacrifice of atonement was Christ's work on the cross. Why? Number one, sin is a serious problem. Do you all agree with that? Now, you're not going to hear that on the late night shows or on media presentation. You're not going to hear that sin is a serious problem. But the, revi- the Bible reveals that there's a radical problem between man and God. And that, that something that is between man and God is called sin. Whatever today you may think of sin, sin is desperately serious with God. In fact, sin is a measureless outrage against a holy God. And at Calvary, we're able to catch a glimpse of sin from God's eyes. No matter what you think of it, when it comes to this weekend, especially Friday, you're able to catch a glimpse of how God sees sin. And at Calvary, we learn how hateful sin is to our God and that no less of a price than the infinite Son of God, His well-beloved Son, could suffice to pay the penalty substitutionarily for our sin. Don't miss the connection between your sin, every one of you, and Calvary. Don't miss the connection of your sin and Calvary. The word for, He died for our sins, readily in the Greek, could be translated because of. Now put that in there. Jesus Christ died because of Your sin. Make it personal. He died because of my sin. It's your sin that placed the crown of thorns upon his head. It's our sins that laid the cruel scars upon his back. There's a short story that talks about a man who had a dream that he stood in the soldier's hall of the palace of Pontius Pilate. And he saw in his dream a soldier in the hallway scourging the back of... Of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as the Roman soldier laid those scars upon his back. He did so. And those lashes. He did it with a thick, heavy, studded piece of lead. Put on those cat of nine tails. That literally dug into the skin and pulled off the skin from his back. And he watched this. And when the soldier lifted his hand up to strike him again. The dreamer could no longer stand what he was seeing. And in his sorrow he reached out. To seize the hand of the soldier, but when the soldier turned around, the dreamer recognized himself. Pretty fitting, right, folks? Notice the sacrifice of atonement was for our sins. He died for your sin, my sin. He rushed again. He rushed forward to seize that hand. Why? He he looks and sees himself. Because we're all guilty. The Bible reveals all the way through the text of Scripture the need for substitution for the sinner. Why? Because the wrath of God has gone out against us. And I know in our modern world we think, well, God's a God of love, folks. There's also another ingredient to the nature of our God. He's a God of wrath. And if we all get what we deserve, we get hell. The wrath of God is upon and against all sin, The Bible says in the book of Habakkuk that God's God's eyes are so pure they cannot even look upon sin. Think about the announcement of Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is the fulfillment of Psalm 22. Why? Because the Son of God realized that aloneness of the Father turning His back on His only Son. Why? Because He was bearing your sin on Calvary. He was becoming your substitute. Dying in your stead. So, either Christ suffers for our sins or we suffer for our sins ourselves. Either your sins will be paid for and pardoned by Christ, or you will pay for them yourself, and the punishment is called hell. Incidentally, if time would allow it, we would give another exhibit. We'd say maybe uh, the sacrifice of atonement is exhibit A in our legal defense. Uh, Exhibit B would be burial. And why is that important? Because, folks, it, it evidences the reality of a death. When somebody dies, you put the body way out of place, don't you? You take it away from people in the living and you put it somewhere where it is dead or where it's away. It's, 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 in a, it's away from everybody. And Paul does this for a reason. When a human corpse is buried, it's presumably dead. So dead that it is removed entirely out of sight. Jesus Christ, folks, died in a very public place. We forget this sometimes. We think, well, y'all just believe in this Bible... And made up stories written by human beings. But you do realize that the death of Jesus Christ is recorded under every secular historian that ever wrote during this time frame. There, it is a legal, binding, uh, public understanding that Jesus Christ died on a cross. So he was buried. His arrest is history. His trial Is written in history. Not even the Bible. Even extra history. His condemnation, His crucifixion. And then check this out. The tomb was triple padlocked. Now have you ever heard of soldiers guarding the tomb of somebody who was dead? That's kind of whacked out, isn't it? The word we use around our staff is ganked up. Right? That's kind of ganked up. That somebody would guard the tomb of a dead man. I mean, what's going to happen with the dead man, right? So the soldiers guarded it to make sure a dead man stayed dead it was public record everybody knew it you only have three options when it comes to the empty tomb folks you only have three options the foes removed his body and why the foes would remove his body I can't figure that out or the friends of Christ removed his body or the father removed his body and you know what I believe don't you The Father removed the body because Acts 2 says it was impossible for the grave to hold Him. The sinless Son of God. You understand that sin is a serious problem because you're a sinner, but the Son of God was not a sinner. And the reason death could not hold Him is because when sin entered the world, it entered all men. And what came was death. Not so with the Son of God because He was sinless. So it was impossible for sin to hold Him in the grave. So, in regard to the sacrificial atonement of Christ, understand first that sin is a serious problem. And secondly, understand our Savior was the sufficient provision for our sin. I want to remind you of a couple of scriptures to strengthen that. In regard to the, all the sacrifices that were given throughout the Old Testament that never could fully atone for sin. Why? Because they had to repeat these over and over and over. Listen to First, first Peter chapter 1, verse 18. Knowing that you were redeemed from the futile ways inherited from your fathers, not with the perishable things such as silver or gold, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus, like that of a lamb without blemish or without spot. And Hebrews, which is one of my favorite books in all the Bible, in Hebrews chapter ten, this is what we read about the sufficient provision of Christ for our sin. Hebrews ten four for it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. In other words, all the sacrifices that were ever made under the Old Covenant could never fully atone for our sin problem. Now note verse 11. And every priest that stands daily at his service offered repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. The priest repeatedly offered these sacrifices that could never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time, A single sacrifice for our sins. He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until His enemies should be made a footstool for His feet. Listen to this. For by a single offering, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. One sacrifice for all time. Uh, Certain religions have a priest. And so do you. His name is Jesus Christ. And he's our great high priest, and you don't need another one. This priest entered in, not in a confessional booth once a week. He entered in one time on behalf of you, if you've trusted him, and he forgave your debt completely. 100%. Past, present, and future. I, did y'all know that you got a Baptist preacher who believes in purgatory? Jesus Christ purged you from your sins for all time. Amen? That's real purgatory, isn't it? He purged you from your sins for all time. There is no such thing as purgatory, by the way. Okay, go on record. But He purged you from your sins for all time. You don't need to go to another priest. You don't need to go to another bloodless mass because Jesus paid it all. His death was sufficient to pay the penalty. Look, folks, I didn't make this up. Once and for all. Hallelujah. Exhibit A. Sacrifice of atonement was His work on the cross. Number two, the signature of approval was the resurrection. In verse 4 it says, He died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and He rose again. It was the approval uh, of His Father. It was the signature of approval. Any careful examination of the New Testament will reveal that the resurrection message comes in two dimensions. Historical fact, the tomb was empty. All the witnesses, but also heart, the human heart. Uh, Human history, and the other dimension is human heart. And the faith that we have in Jesus Christ, folks, is not built upon a complexity of ideas. It is built upon historical facts. Jesus predicted His own resurrection. Just a few days before His resurrection, He said, destroy this temple in three days, and in one day I'll raise it up. He predicted His own resurrection. The Old Testament predicted, prophesied the fulfillment of the resurrection. You know, folks, have you ever stopped to consider if people wanted to stop Christianity in its tracks and cause it to fold like a house of cards, all you had to do was present a body. All you had to do was present a body. Many saw the resurrected Lord. Do you see the text? Over 500 at a given time saw the Lord Jesus. They touched Him. They watched Him. They even ate with Him. The New Testament you hold in your hand would never have been written had it not been for the resurrection. There would be no church today anywhere in this world had Jesus not come forth from the grave. Do you realize that, folks? Do you realize the seriousness of the issue of the signature of approval of the resurrection of Christ? What about the facts of all the history, the annals of time, of people who have been saved by grace through faith? Just stop right where you are and look around in this church. Now, some of you may not know the Lord, may not be saved, but the fact of the matter is many of you are. And you're a testimony to the miracle of resurrection. Because if Christ didn't come forth from the grave, he surely couldn't save your soul. Right? Just look around at the testimony. These are the miracles of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And every time you see someone whose life has been changed by the grace of God, when they put their faith in Christ's work on the cross, it's modern proof of the witness of the resurrection of Christ. The only reason that I'm preaching this sermon this morning... Is because I met the resurrected Lord many years ago, and I've never been the same. As a matter of fact, I can't keep quiet about it, right? And you would say, amen, preacher. Exactly, because He changes your life. Now, the issue is, it's not enough to believe the facts. You must have faith in your life, in your heart, in your soul, to Jesus Christ. It's a matter of experience. What you know of the facts of the Word must come into your life, the seat of your emotions, the cardea. We're not, when we say ask Jesus into your heart, folks, we're not talking about that pumping instrument inside of there. That's why we get ranked theology in Baptist life. What we're talking about is the seed of who make, it's what makes you who you are. Well, make Your personhood, who you are, made by God. You have to be moved in the mind to the emotive part of your life to put your faith and trust in what Jesus Christ did. And then here's the deal. A commitment of the will is the last thing. You have to commit yourself to Christ. So it is... Intellectual assent, the emotive means of your life into Christ. And then with a commitment of the will, you say, Yes, I repent of my sin and unbelief and I turn to Jesus only for salvation. Right? And the signature of approval is the fact that Jesus Christ came forth from the grave. I want to remind you of this passage in front of us. It is, again, the greatest presentation of the resurrection in the Bible, in one chapter. He actually is going to, in verse 12, say, If Christ is not raised from the grave, then you're not going to be raised from the grave. That's how important it is. The signature of approval was not only for Christ coming forth from the grave, but the fact that if you're in Him as a follower, you one day will also resurrect bodily. Right? That's what it teaches. You're the, uh, he's the firstfruits from the dead. Read the chapter. And then he says this, If Christ is not risen then our faith is futile. If Christ is not risen, then we're still in our sins. So folks, without the resurrection, there is absolutely no chance of salvation. No chance of forgiveness of sins and no chance of heaven. So in that signature of approval, what do we see taking place? Why did God give His signature of approval by raising Christ from the dead? First, God was perfectly satisfied by Christ's death. Now, folks, do you remember the text? All these sacrifices for all these years could not fully atone for sin. Why is it that with one penalty, one payment, it was for all time? It's because His blood was precious blood, right? Uh, He didn't offer, He didn't have to get someone to make atonement for His sin. He was the atonement because He was not a sinner, right? So His was the sufficient sacrifice. Why? Because a holy God was able to forgive sin because He was fully satisfied in the death of His Son. At His, the Father's, God the Father's vote was the only one that mattered. Right? There's no rebuttal. There's no recall. Uh, the issue is over. Perfectly settled on resurrection morning. His death pleased the court, settled the account, appeased The wrath of God. Holy God, His holy justice that He demanded was met in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So God is perfectly satisfied by His death. Secondly, God is presently justified in forgiving our sins and giving you eternal life. Calvary and the risen Savior are the basis of God being able to forgive sinful man... And forever is justified in saving you. Now, to understand this, look with me just for a moment in Romans chapter 3. And the question is, how can a holy God remain just and also forgive people like me and you of our sins? How can it be just and also justify us? Here it is. Romans chapter 3, verse 26. It was to show His righteousness at the present time. So that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now folks, do you all understand what that's saying? It's saying that God is fully justified in forgiving your sins and giving you eternal life all because of Jesus. If it were not for Jesus, God couldn't forgive you. There's no way possible a holy God would allow sinful people into his heaven apart from Jesus Christ. He is both just, absolutely holy, and also able to justify me and you all because of Jesus. Y'all do realize what that means? That means to all the world religions that believe you get to heaven in another way, they're wrong. You say, well, preacher, you can't say that. Yes, I can. Because the Bible says he's just and the justifier. And the only way you can ever go to heaven is to be made acceptable before the Father. And the only way you can be made acceptable before the Father is to have righteousness. And the only way you're ever going to have righteousness is if Jesus Christ gives you His. That's the gospel, folks. That's not preached in a lot of churches. There's a lot of warm fuzzies, but the gospel is this you can't go to heaven without righteousness. You got to be perfect before the Father. And the only way that's possible is when he looks at his perfect son who gave his life on Calvary and in exchange for you trusting him, he gives you his righteousness. Therefore, when the father sees you, he sees his son. He is just and he's the justifier of men all because of Jesus Christ. He paid it all. Jesus suffered and died to provide your forgiveness and your justification. Now, Romans 5 says, Since we have now been justified by his blood how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? Do you know, folks, you're saved from the wrath of God all because of Jesus. Which also means this. If you're not saved today, you're under the wrath of God. And if you die in your sins, you'll have to pay for them. And it'll be for eternity in a place called hell. But aren't you thankful that God is perfectly satisfied with the death of His Son? That it... The substitutionary atonement has, been taken, has taken place. Jesus died in your stead. You should have been crucified, but he was crucified in your place. Why? Because of your sins. And our God is presently justified in forgiving us our sins and giving us eternal life. Now, justification is a word we're missing today in our world. The word justified means at the moment you believe in Jesus, at that very moment you put your trust in him, God declares you just once and For all, There are churches that teach that you can lose your salvation. That's an impossibility. Because when God pronounced you innocent, He doesn't have an eraser. He doesn't write your name in the Lamb's Book of Life and then turn around and have an eraser and flip it over and erase your name. Folks, when He pays for your sin once and for all, that's what it means. It means past, present, and future sins are all under the blood of Christ when you trust Him as your Lord and as your Savior. He does this once and for all. All it says in that verse Hebrews 10:14 He has sanctified you and perfected you for all time by one offering. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. That's how important it is to be saved by grace through faith. And again, understand this To be pronounced innocent and righteous is only through Jesus Christ. It's only possible because God was perfectly satisfied with the death of His Son. He's totally justified in forgiving my sins, not because of anything I could ever do. For by grace are we saved through faith. That not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God is totally justified in forgiving me all because of Jesus. Remember this, A.W. Tozer once said, There's no place to hide except in the blood of the Lamb. I hope you're hiding in the blood of the Lamb. I hope you know Him personally, that His blood has cleansed you. Exhibit A, sacrifice of atonement was the work of Christ. Exhibit B in this legal presentation is the fact of the Father's signature of approval in raising Christ from the dead. And here's your response. The simplicity is man's responsibility. Chapter 15, verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel. That's what I'm doing. you all awake out there? Don't zip your Bibles up before we're done. I'm reminding you of something. Verse 1, 15, 1. Now, I would remind you, brothers, I'm reminding you, I'm reminding you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. Now, folks, that's the simplicity of acceptance. It's not enough just to hear the facts, you've got to receive it. The Bible says, as many as received Him. To them He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe upon His name. Nothing could be plainer or simpler or more straightforward. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I asked the Father this morning, God, what could I say that would bring you the most glory today for your Son? And here's the answer. He lived, He died, He rose again. That's the gospel. Right? That's what brings the Father the most glory. And here's my encouragement, my admonishment to you this morning. First, trust in Christ's payment for your sins. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but He washed it white as snow. If any man is to receive the benefits, cash in on God's offer of eternal life, you've got to receive Him Folks, He died for you as if you were the only sinner who needed to be died for. He loves you how? Unconditionally. Romans 5, 6 says that scarcely will a man die for a righteous person, but God died for you and me when we're still sinners. He died for us in the ugliness of our sin. Talking about You talk about unconditional. He died for you while you were still a sinner. But God demonstrated His love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you will believe that Jesus lived and died for you and, it, and that you would trust Him and receive Him, He would save you from the penalty and punishment of your own sins forever. So trust in Christ's payment. Number two, trust Him personally as your own personal Lord and Savior. What does that mean? Well, it means that you do here and now transfer, transfer your trust of yourself Or any other object you may be putting your trust in. And you put trust yourself totally in the Lord. It reminds me of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. Don't use your own understanding this morning as a crutch. But put all of your trust, like laying yourself prostrate on the ground before God. That's what you're doing. Lord, I give you myself 100% completely. And your attitude is this. God, if I'm going to be saved from my sins, you've got to do it. When I go to heaven, you're going to take me there. If you don't take me there, I'm not going. That's how much trust you put in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now, in conclusion, Lord Lyndhurst was the high chancellor of Great Britain. And in 1846, he wrote these words. He said, I know pretty well what evidence is. And I tell you, such evidence as that for the resurrection of Christ has never broken down. Praise the Lord. Are you willing to act upon the evidence in this matter, thanks be to God for the empty tomb. Now, if you were to go to the graveyards of all the world religious leaders that you know of and take roll call, Mohammed, Islam, Islam, right, Muslims? Mohammed, you would hear, I'm here. You know why? Because his bones are in the grave. Buddha, roll call, I'm here, bones are in the grave. Confucius, bones are in the grave. Go to the tomb of Christ, do your roll call. I'm not here because I'm risen. Amen? The tomb is empty. Doubt if you will, but the tomb is still empty because he is not there. You can't remain neutral, folks. You have to make a decision. You can't stay on the fence forever. This is Resurrection Sunday morning, and what a great morning to make a choice. Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, you've heard that expression, all in. Well, I'm all in on the resurrection of Christ. I stake my entire life, my entire faith, everything I am, on the true reality of the resurrected Lord. I'm all in. Christ Jesus came forth from the grave on the third day. Amen? Amen. Lord God, thank you for... The teaching of your word, and I thank you for the lives of those who heard it. Lord, your word says that the natural man cannot discern the things of God. Lord, that means in order for us to hear, you have to give us ears to hear. And Lord, I pray that has been the case in this hour. God, that you've blessed someone with the ears to hear the gospel. That you allowed them to hear your glorious gospel at all is an act of mercy. You didn't have to do that. But Lord, they came today and they heard the gospel. They heard about the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Son of God. That you died for our sins and that you rose again. God, I pray this day that if there's someone here today that's dying in their sins and they are presently paying for their sins, Lord, I pray, dear God, that you would redeem their hearts, regenerate them, Make them alive. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by your word. No one will ever be saved apart from hearing your word and responding. Faith cometh by hearing. God, would you resurrect a heart today, make them alive in you. You're the only one that can make a dead heart alive. You're the only one that can make dry bones live. And God, would you breathe life, spiritual life, into someone today. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But your word teaches us that you are mighty to save. Even the most rotten sinner we could ever imagine. Even the vilest of sinners. If they turn to you and trust you and repent, you will save them. For whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Lord, may that take place today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.